everybody. Welcome to another episode of our podcast where we ask the question, remember the odds. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off. <laughs> I was hoping we'd get it at the same time, just like, hey, remember hey. the odds. No, that's fine. Um, I'm Courtney. And I'm Tom. And we're going to talk about everything from the 2000s, from those bandanas with the tiny little straps that you'd put behind your ears to the bandanas that girls would wear in movies as a t-shirt. Oh, that's nice. That's cute. Thanks. Uh, I would say from when you were obliviously playing your Game Boy Advance with no concern in the world while the TV in the background talks about the war on terror. Yeah, that's what the 2000s were about. War on terror. We're still in the war on terror. Um... I feel like this episode, we're, we're only a couple of weeks into September, yes. and I am not feeling good about just how things are going. Things are lonely. Yeah. <laughs> things yeah. are lonely. They're very lonely. Um, nothing's getting better. And I'm a little concerned about that. But we must, we must move forward and stride forward and i don't know what the saying is oh it's like keep i'm thinking of keep calm and carry on no that's for english people right (laughs) english people can use that but for us we do have one thing that can pick us up today and i'm talking about ladybird i hate california i want to go to the east coast I want to go where culture is, like How New in the York, world did I raise such or at least snob. Connecticut or New Hampshire, where writers live in the get woods. Get into those schools anyway. Mom! You should just go to City College. You know, with your work ethic, just go to City College and then to jail, and then back to City College, and then maybe you'd learn to pull yourself up and not expect everybody to do everything. Ladybird, is that your given name? Yeah. Why is it in quotes? I gave it to myself. It's given to me by me. Ladybird. Yeah. No. Some people might be listening and going, that is not a movie from the aughts. And to which we will say, fuck that, we make the rules. Yeah, screw you. We don't care. We can do what we want here. Uh, we did this for two reasons. One, it's a, it's essentially, I would say, a love letter to 2002, Sacramento, California. Mm-hmm. It really does kind of paint the picture of a really accurate period piece for like life in 2002. But I think this was actually, I'll say this to Courtney, this was your idea and i think i love the idea because you had a really interesting thesis that i will let you take over with yeah so while we were discussing what to do in between this miniseries and our upcoming halloween themed miniseries spooktacular savings yes oh i like that that's really good we didn't pick up a title yet that's it spooktacular savings uh get ready for that you guys um I was thinking about what is a more current adaptation of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl? What is the love child of all of these movies? And I realized that it is the movie Lady Bird. Lady Bird. And it's really come out of what the Manic Pixie Dream Girl started with. But Greta Gerwig created this beautiful detailed experience of being a teenager during this time and wanting to be someone who, like the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, is quirky. She dyes her hair. She changes her name. She has a very whimsical, quirky name, but also, like, adds all of these nuances and experiences that are authentic to being a teenager that a lot of these movies that we talked about beforehand don't really get to cover because it's always been through the male protagonist and it's always been through the view of a male writer. So here is our chance to talk about someone who has very similar characteristics to the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, but comes from a very authentic uh, perspective. Yeah, and I was going to say, um, it's because it's also not a romance, yes. which is what, you know, obviously would be the trap. Right. like. There's obviously the dilemma of a lot of the, of those movies being written by the, from the male perspective, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not inherently like a bad thing. It's just that, especially for a romance at that time with that trope, it was very, became a problematic trope where we could see like what was going on. Whereas now 
what we get with this beautiful tale from Greta Gerwig. We get a coming of age story with that character kind of telling us about the, you know, the coming of age of this young girl in Sacramento, California at this very specific time in California. And also what's so great about it too is it's not just like a woman's movie because no. it's directed and written by a female and starring a female. I think that there are a lot of things, and Tom, I'm sure you can speak on this too. There are a lot of things that everyone can get from this from growing up. Yeah. Like yeah. just because it's, you know, just because it's about a teenage girl doesn't mean I can't empathize or understand the struggle of being a teenager at that time. Right. And what I also really liked about the way that Greta Gerwig painted Sacramento is it feels very familiar. Yes. And it's very similar to the sort of suburb, almost city suburb that we kind of grew up in in Long Island. Yeah. They, and also like a little bit of the economic divide. Right. Which, which that to me is the most totally long, very Long Island representation. Like I know it's in Sacramento as well, but like you see it. Like, just these clickiness of the kids and the way they talk and the lingo they use. Even when Christine, or Lady Bird, as she prefers to be called, talks about her house being on the wrong side of the train tracks. Mm -hmm. It's like it paints this picture that is very relatable and we can empathize with. Yeah, I really relate to that because, um, and like you and I have talked about this personally, that you know, growing up on Long Island, just because, like, I lived in an apartment, uh, I had felt judged for being on, like, the bottom of the totem pole in our group, and I just could never understand that. And also, I still don't, because, like, we grew up, like, in a very loving home and had everything that we needed. So I, I couldn't understand that sort of judgment, but also... Like, that is sort of Lady Bird's home. She's embarrassed by her family, and, you know, she's embarrassed by her economic situation, and she wants to be a part of the richer kid, like, be a part of the richer kid clique, and yet her parents are nothing but loving and supportive. Oh, yeah. Well, even in their own unique ways. Like, this really is, like, because she's a teenager, and she's, you know, she's got her angst, but she's trying to find herself, and she's combative with her mother, but it's like you really see how much of it is a communication of love. It's yeah. through this like deliberate attention that's given. Mm -hmm. And that's one of my favorite parts of this movie because it's it's so funny to watch them bicker. But <laughs> you best. know you you know the love is real. Their chemistry, like their rhythm on set is so good. Um I guess we could start I could start with a fact about the uh, first scene is that that was one of the last scenes that they shot they usually ah. do that where you know they'll they'll shoot the most important scenes first and then get to the beginning of the movie by the end of shooting yeah and that was one of the last scenes that they shot which was the beginning scene of them bickering in the car and it is such a funny way to be like here are these two dynamics they're opposing forces, but clearly they love each other. And get ready, because this is not ending here. No, and it's how quickly it flips. Like yeah, it goes I from, love it so much. And it's very real. Like, um, yeah. I will not say that I, I do not see myself as that similar in character to, to Lady Bird. But the mother is definitely the type of mother I had experienced. And it's all, like, genuine love. Like, that's, I'm not saying anything bad. But I definitely know that very, like, attentive, you know, very, like, hands-on, willing to take care of everything. But also, like, just a little comments here and there. Mm -hmm. You know, I love that. So, like, I, I mean, I'm jumping maybe ahead, but there's a scene they're going dress shopping. And Lady Bird finds the dress she absolutely adores. And the mom's just like, you know, couldn't you find something else? I know. Yeah, I love in the, like, her her mom's uh, quips, played by Laurie Metcalf, uh, yes. her mom just has these, be the best little comedic moments, and they're so subtle, but they really pack a punch. And I love in the beginning scene when, um, like, the conversation starts to turn, actually, when uh, Lady Bird, Christine actually sort of has these manic pixie dream girl moments where she says something like, I want to live through something. 
Oh. And her mom is like, oh, excuse me. I'm so sorry that we gave you a good life, that you have to go through something. I'm sorry 9-11 <laughs> happened last year. Right, right. And, you know, it it really, you see how with the mom's character arc throughout the movie, that she's working so hard to provide a good life for her daughter. So to hear her say something like, I want to struggle uh, I totally side with the mother on that, and I love that she's not afraid to tell her and say things to her like, "You're not even worth state tuition. You should just go to city. <laughs> you should just go to a community college, then go to jail, then go back to community college." Which there's nothing wrong with city schools. I went to a city school. Right, and we've talked about how like great things have come out of community college, but that also says something to this time period as well. This is still during a time period where. Uh, you're supposed to go to a great college and you're supposed to spend so much money on a great school. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. This is before yeah. the 2008 crisis. So, yes. like, the, the the American dream, quote-unquote, you spend your money, go to good college, and you'll get a good job was still very much alive. Right, and I just love the way that uh, Lady Bird, when she says these things that are very reminiscent of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, she has family and she has friends who are there to put her in her place and actually sort of bring her back down to earth and explain to her how those things that she's thinking about are just a little unrealistic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I just, the reason that I wanted to do this episode with Lady Bird is because Lady Bird perfectly represents what it was like to be a teenager and be surrounded by all of these movies about these, like, quirky, creative women and wanting to be that thing. And oh, yeah. We mentioned in the 500 Days of Summer episode that Lady Bird, Lady Bird perfectly captures that, but now is our chance to kind of dig into that some more. Yes, and unlike in 500 Days of Summer, we have a personality who's not a sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still feel like the way that they they just couldn't figure out Summer or what they wanted to do with her, I don't think. No, and it's easy to put it as like, the you know, the issues of being written by a male writer. But to go to another recent movie, mm -hmm. um, Eighth Grade, by, yeah. um, I love that movie. And oh my like, gosh. That's a, that's, um, that's a man who wrote that. Yeah, Bo uh, Burnham wrote Bo that. Bo Burnham, comedian and YouTube, you know, icon wrote and directed eighth grade and that really captures but i think it's also like that is him as an adult now mm -hmm. telling a story from that you know his experience as a kid in the aughts being able to empathize rather than romanticize that kind of upbringing mm -hmm. so i think we've come a long way courtney and i think also um a lot of the experiences that the lead character goes through in eighth grade are practically genderless and i yes. say that in the sense that they are experiences that are universal to us and then i feel like there is one scene where it is something that is more experienced by you know self-identified girls yes. mm -hmm. rather than men and they handle that with such care they do and such uh, delicacy that i really appreciated that i mean like What's more terrifying for a middle schooler, regardless of gender or sex, than a pool party? Right. I would have been. I was terrified of the pool party. Um, I really felt it, and I'm. I know that this is kind of like a side note into another, uh, 2010s movie that covers the like middle school, high school experience. But I loved the scene where she gives that girl her gift, and it's like the tiniest. <laughs> stupid thing because i did the exact same thing in our italian class in seventh grade like it oh. immediately brought me back to that oh yeah we did have to do secret santa it was exchange. the worst yeah i hated it you so couldn't much. back then you couldn't opt out with just a gift card you had to buy a gift yeah yeah and that we was terrible oh man what a what a different time now you middle school Amazon gift card. Everyone appreciates an Amazon gift card. Right. Yeah. Do you want me to give a quick plot down a uh, uh, quick logline plot for the movie Ladybird? Yeah, let's do it. All right. In 2002, an artistically inclined 17-year-old girl comes of age in Sacramento, California. That is it. That's it. That's it. That's all you need to know. I feel like Saoirse Ronan 
when you hear her speak in general and she's just being her regular self, there's such a sturdy Irishness <laughs> to her yes. accent. It's such a beautiful accent. I love it so much, but there's such a structure to the way she speaks. And then you think about how quickly she can switch into being this like casual laid back Californian. And, you know, I feel like she's becoming one of those celebrities who are so big that she just looks like, you know, you just look at her and you're like, oh, there's Saoirse Ronan. Yeah. And yet somehow she still is able to play this character with such life and such like refreshing yeah. exuberance. Her performance is really authentic to the point where there's, I rewatched it again last night mm-hmm. and I love this movie, but there are definitely moments where I'm like, God, like, stop, what are you doing? Yes. <laughs> Like it's authentic. It's truly authentic to that experience where it's like, as an elder adult, I almost like, I I love the dad, yeah. And he he's so loving and he's willing to just do whatever it takes to make everyone happy. So, so like loving. when she goes off, it's just like God, please stop. Yeah. Stop for a moment. You don't need this. And I love that every character gets like, no matter how much screen time they have, every character has a genuine moment. Like I love the brother too. Yeah. Like the brother and the brother's weird girlfriend. Even their relationship, you really get to know who they are and what they're struggling with because, you know, they're not even really that important to the plot. Like, they don't play a major role, but you still get to learn so much about them that he's also like a talented mathematician like his dad and then they end up applying for the same job. Yeah. Or even like... Because the girlfriend could have easily been a one-off note. Like, oh, she's right. a weird vegan girl, but she's wearing a leather jacket. But her <laughs> so character funny. development throughout the movie, you see a little glimpse of it. And it helps to reinforce what we learn about the mother and Ladybird. Mm-hmm. Because there's a point where the girlfriend, mind you, the same girl who earlier on was like bragging about being vegan and how important. She's like, your sister hates me and blah, 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 blah. Like towards the end of the movie, she's all of a sudden like, you know, your mother took me in when she didn't have to. And she bought her, like, socks. And just seeing how this weird, like, goth girl was just so happy to have socks. Yeah. It's like, these are genuinely, these are genuine moments. And it, like, helps to reinforce, you know, who the mother is and who Ladybird is. Or even the moment when, I think it's early on in the movie after... After, you know, Ladybird decides to throw herself out of the car beautiful moment it's a great moment um you know when her parents are talking in the bathroom and she's like oh do you think he and his girlfriend are having sex on the pullout bed and the dad is like oh they're definitely having sex on the pullout bed or I think it's the mom who says it right yeah yeah I I love that conversation because that is what shows them being really great parents is that they're fully aware that these two are doing this in their home and they're just laughing because they're not going to stop them from being people they're just taking care of them and being good parents yeah and they're providing love and support not judgment or because that's another problem you see with some of the other characters you see that like the up like the kind of families they come from mm-hmm. uh, i forgot the actor's name i love him but um he plays Lady Bird's first boyfriend towards the beginning of the movie. Oh, Lucas Hedges? Yes. I think his is name is. Yeah. Lucas Hodges? I think that's his name. Yeah, we came prepared today. Well, I we did. Yeah, we yeah. Did. But sometimes you just gotta go back. Sometimes it's you gotta... It's hard to keep track of everything. Yes. I know there's a name. Yep, Lucas Hedges. Lucas Hedges. Okay, plays I was right the Danny first time. O'Neill, the Irish Catholic boy who comes from a very large Irish Catholic family. Mm-hmm. Who, uh, spoiler alert, which by this point now you should know, you should watch the movie before you listen to us. Um, he's gay. Yeah. And the like that pain of like, because it it hurts because they're dating. But then he, it turns out he's gay, and she gets really pissed, which understandably so, like, you've been lied to. But then, like, she kind of shares in that mother, like, her mother's compassion where, like, you know, she's angry, she'll let you know it. But then she gives him a hug to hold him, like, after it turns, like, you see his genuine pain of him having to hide the fact that he's gay. Like, 
this is not all Irish Catholics, but I can tell you comfortably that um, that sort of judgment definitely does exist in a lot of Catholic back, you know, homes. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely a struggle, especially since they go to like this weird Catholic school too. Yeah. And this is 2002. Yeah, and I feel like they really lean into how teenagers were dealing with sexuality then. Yeah. I feel like teenagers nowadays are exposed to so much self-love and self-care that they can learn a lot more and how to be happy with their bodies. I'm not saying that the world is perfect right now. Um, But I feel like there's just more... There are more conversations about it. We didn't have those conversations growing up. and Not really, no. No, and then you've got these teenagers who are all in a private school, and it's very clear in the movie that that is something everyone in this movie is wrestling with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even Lady Bird herself, like, we can get into it a little bit, but uh, as it comes along, that's a very important thing that just kind of gets unfortunately taken advantage of would that be a fair way to put it totally yeah but um before we continue i wanted to know do you we want to talk about greta gerwig a little bit yeah let's talk about greta gerwig all right highlight greta gerwig all right this is what i found on my research Mm -hmm. greta gerwig an american actress and filmmaker that's that's an understatement i only i'm not (laughs) doing that for real no she is she is a very prominent figure and a very successful filmmaker and actress like she is fantastic this movie is great so i mean it speaks for itself but um she is from what i've seen she's what brought her to attention was working in a few mumblecore films uh she was in francis ha if you know that movie that was a big one yeah yeah um and she's collaborated with uh noah bombach on several films including greenberg francis ha uh, she received a Golden Globe Award nomination, uh, Mistress America, and a few other things. Courtney, do you know, do you have anything else on Greta Gerwig? I mean, there's so much to say. I just, I don't want to ramble on too much. No, it's okay. I guess, um, I mean, mine might be a little bit of a rant. Um, she was famously not nominated for this movie. That's right. And this was such a big hit. It immediately got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, in fact, somebody had to purposefully write a negative review so it would stop being 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And during this time, there were a lot of big movies that were coming out, um, but everyone was shocked to see that Lady Bird was nominated for so many things and then Greta Gerwig was left out of the conversation completely, which... Yeah, that tends to happen, unfortunately. Yeah, it is a shame. Um, But what I do love about Greta Gerwig is... Every time I see a photo of her, she has this look on her face like she's already five steps ahead of all of us. You know what? I'm looking at a picture of her now, and I can agree to that. Right? Like, I always want to know what is going on in her head. What is she thinking about? What's the next thing that she's thinking of? Because after Lady Bird, she comes out with Little Women, and I haven't seen it. Neither have I. Yeah. But, I mean, it did a great job. People love it. And also even just the attention around Lady Bird, like it did so well in a way that a lot of movies don't do anymore unless they're a part of a big franchise. Also, I want to correct something. Mm -hmm. I I mentioned that she works a lot with Noah Baumbach. They're married. (laughs) Oh, I knew they were together. I didn't know if they were married or not. Wait. They're partners. Oh, so that can mean like... That could literally mean anything. Like how I don't know what that means. Yeah. Like I no, I love the term partners in that way. Yeah. But uh, just putting partner doesn't necessarily mean. I don't know. Right. I'll never get it right. They are together. Okay. Good. Wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) Wunderbar. I I was on to something. (laughs) But I feel like what I think about this movie in comparison to the Manic Pixie Dream Girls is like if you had a Mad Libs where it was themed after Manic Pixie Dream Girls, and it's including all of these things, Greta Gerwig found a way to fill in all of the blanks with actual personality traits and character flaws. Yeah. Well, she's also... if She's born in 1983. Right. 
So she grew up like the aunt, like this is important because she like 2002 for her was her growing up. Like this is, I can imagine a lot of it's taken from her own life experiences, especially being from Sacramento. Mm -hmm. So like, this is like a real reflection of her around these caricatures and wanting to be that. This is a reflection of a girl coming up around this time, wanting to be that person and kind of finding out who she is along the way. Cause she falls into the traps of what happens when, you try to align yourself like you mentioned earlier for the superficial reasons like she wants to be in with the the popular girls who are the richer girls and she's sorting after this you know the guitarist of this band i forgot their name i don't remember it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it's a Mm -mm. 2002 band so it's not that original right exactly (laughs) the thing that you mentioned actually lines up with um this great article that I found from the organization incitingsparks.org. Eva Dieteren talked about how Lady Bird does reclaim the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, and the big uh, thesis to her article is that she doesn't end up with any guy. This isn't about romance. This is about coming of age, and part of that is going through these sort of vignettes of relationships with different people romantic and not romantic yes yeah and i can i i when i think about that (laughs) from what you just said because it also makes sense that this is her coming of age Mm -hmm. it wouldn't make sense to put this in the guise of a romantic movie because then like what is it saying because like people change people grow especially like when you're coming of age and you're coming to discover yourself it would be it would be naive to assume that you're going to find your perfect soulmate when you still haven't figured your out self out necessarily right exactly um and that's what's kind of nice about this movie is it does look at these different romantic relationships but they come and go as easily as high school relationships do come and go oh yeah absolutely yeah. um what you were saying about uh, her relationship with Danny It's so sweet because, you know, she thinks she has this, like, great thing going. It's her little theater friends. And they're such a nice part of that group because it's, like, with her best friend. Her best friend is a part of it. Yeah. And then so quickly when it doesn't work out and she realizes that he's gay, the first thing she does is cry with her best friend. Yeah. And I love that moment so much. And then... You know, you see her second relationship in the other half of the movie with Kyle, where instead she tries to grasp onto this other group of friends. And actually how much she tries to put on this facade for them, and she starts pushing away from her true best friend, who at the end of the day is there for her, and she makes up with her. What I found to be interesting (laughs) is that even those characters, except for T- Timothy Chalamet, which fuck him. We're, uh, we're going to get to Timothy Chalamet. We're going to get to him. But um, despite him, those characters are still pretty authentic characters. Like when I forgot the girl's name, the rich girl that she really becomes friends with. Yeah. She lies about where she lives. She she tells her she lives at the big blue house, which was where Danny's grandmother lived. Mm-hmm. And when she finds out where she really lives, she's like, why did you lie? Like, there's this moment of authenticity, like, she's in her house, she Mm -hmm. sees where she lives, and she doesn't even care that much. She's like, why did you have to lie? Yeah, you can tell that she's even more just upset that she she lied lied about it, instead of, like, oh, this is where you live. Yeah, like, this isn't, like, an 80s villain character, where she's like, oh my god, you live here? How disgusting. I'm gonna ruin your life. Yeah, Yeah. no, she's just like, why did you lie? Yeah, and then I think that her response to Lady Bird's honesty is also what captures the authenticity of being a teenager, when she's like, I mean, you're still dating Kyle, so yeah, I guess we'll still be friends or whatever. It's like, perfect. That sort of apathetic, like, yeah, all right, fine. And, like, that kind of, um, that weird thing doesn't really go away until you're, like, I would say maybe into your late 20s or 30s. Because Mm -hmm. we, having edited the Scott Pilgrim episode, we talk about Julie. 
why is there Julie in every group of friends? And it's like, oh yeah, because there's just, she's dating somebody, you have to be around them. Right, exactly. She's literally like, all right, well, you lied to me. I'm not a fan of you, but you're my Julie now. You're here. You're not going anywhere. Right. And what I love about this movie is Lady Bird so perfectly, like, does represent that craving and that desire to be somebody unique and original and experience something. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you see her wanting to fit in with a group so badly. Yeah. Finding a sense of belonging. I love the moment when she is talking to Kyle at the parking lot and then she says, you better or I'll kill your family. (laughs) It's one of the best things because I relate to that so much of like, I'm going to say something really witty and then it just doesn't come out as words. Oh, that's like how it, that's how most of my interactions were in middle school. I, (laughs) I thought I was funny and then it wasn't. And then I got really embarrassed. Right. There's a lot, you feel a lot of embarrassment. Mm-hmm. for this movie and whether it's I would say like positive embarrassment or negative embarrassment like I feel like the negative embarrassment being that she's embarrassed of her family or that you know she's trying to impress somebody she shouldn't feel like she has to and then also the good embarrassment of like oh she realizes her friends that she plan on going to the prom with really suck and they don't want to do the same things that she does so she goes back to her best friend yeah, and can we talk shit about Timothy Chalamet yet? Can Here we, we are. These? This is the moment. We're going to talk shit about Timothy Chalamet. He could be a genuinely good dude. I might right. like him in person, but God damn it, do I hate him. The thing that makes it worse about disliking Timothy Chalamet or being annoyed with him is just that he might be the most lovely, genuine person in real life, and that almost yeah. makes it worse. Because if he's a total dick, you feel justified in being sick of him. Mm-hmm. But if he's nice, it's like, oh, God damn it. Timothy Chalamet, why did you handpick this bouquet of flowers for me? Also, um, I know you're nice, but I remember that time you said in that movie that you hate cigarettes, but you hand roll them because you're cool like that. Like, yeah. God damn it. I do appreciate that. I'm, I'm almost relieved that... For once, I'm finally sick of a male actor that the media tried to shove down my throat in a way that they try to make me sick of mostly female celebrities. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like there's been such a run of you got Jennifer Lawrence, you got Anne Hathaway. I think Ariana Grande is on that train now. Miley Cyrus has been there. Katy Perry, like all these female celebrities who get so absorbed into the media to make people sick of them. Yep. I'm I'm so glad that for once I can sit back and be like, oh, now I'm sick of Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, I... That's fine. Oh, he could be fine. I don't know. But, like, just his character... You know, it's funny, and I think we talked about this before the episode. <laughs> he kind of plays... Like, he has all the characteristics of that obnoxious, intellectual, like, mm. sad boy in all these, like, Manic Pixie Dream Girl movies. But because it's being, it's not, it, this is a more grounded, real version of that. You realize that he has no empathy. He's not loving, like, like maybe you can even make the argument, I think you can look at this and say like, oh, Lady Bird is trying to get in with this new group of friends. She's really falling for this guy, Kyle. He's that dark, intellectual, mysterious character who's always sad. So she's like, maybe I'll fix him. And then he's just like, nah man like everything's meaningless like why do we care man like all these people are dying overseas in iraq and it's like fuck off dude it's 2020 we're still in iraq if i talked about it every fucking day jesus christ yeah i mean i feel like i i mean i knew those guys in high school i knew those guys and unfortunately i too was like curious about their views and like luckily you know, nothing came of that the way that it did for Lady Bird. Courtney, I wanted to yes. be one of those guys. Like, right. <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to, like, I looked up to these guys. I was like, whoa, they're so insightful Ugh. and interesting. No, they're not. But then as you, you just get a little older and you're like, these guys are stupid as fuck. And then you're like, oh, these guys are like an Orlando Baylor level of interesting. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sometimes we all fall for that. We all do, but then it's like, yeah, you know, you try to learn, you try to do better. And then uh, 29, and I can say that as of two years now, I haven't fallen for it since. Nice. 
two years. <laughs> I I kind of wonder what Kyle in two thousand and two looks like now, eighteen later, eighteen years later. Like, what does that character look like? Libertarian. Oh, you're totally right. Liber- like all that political, like socioeconomic bullshit he was spewing was all just to get laid. And now that people don't want to sleep with him, he's very angry. Yeah, probably lives in like, probably rents out his parents' property to like on Airbnb. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, makes money off of it, even though he listens to a lot of Joe Rogan, but argues with Joe Rogan by himself. Oh God, I feel like that's everybody who listens to Joe Rogan. Yeah. Sorry. Hot take. And this ain't even me shitting on Joe Rogan. I don't mind him, and I think he has some really cool guests. But like, we're, I mean, what was my where our podcast is shitting on the Joe Rogan podcast? Oh no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. <laughs> but it's funny how like the guy is a very he's puts it out there all the time that he's a very liberal guy, and I believe it. I know he's not. But his a lot of his fans are that type of crowd. I know, isn't that so funny? It, it's it's just it's hysterical. Yeah, he probably would listen to Joe Rogan. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, but what I what I really love about this movie is it captures how like how many moments in movies before have highlighted these moments and dramatis dramatized them to make them seem like a bigger deal than they actually are in real life, this movie actually captures the reality of those moments for what they are. Like, for example, um, when she does lose her virginity to Kyle, and it's not great. And he lied? And it's not It's not great at all. I don't think I've spoken to... I don't think I know a single person... And I mean, this is a uniquely male perspective, but at the same time, I think it still relates. I don't think anyone's, and it's not me like shit talking this. I think it's just adding to the fact that you're saying it's a genuine and it's a real moment. It yeah. hurts because you built it up. It's a very vulnerable thing. And then it turns out like he lied and it's not special to him at all. And like, I think about myself and I'm like, I don't think anyone's first time is like, it doesn't live up to the expectation, no. but also like, it hurts because you put yourself in a vulnerable place. Either it's just it either you realize you've been used or like you get broken up with a week later. Yeah, that that's what the reality I think of it is. You know, I think society has always built up your first time as this beautiful blossoming moment that's supposed to be special. But then when you're having those hormones as a teenager, you think Every relationship is special. Yeah. And then that's how you get hurt so quickly, and it doesn't go well. And I think the idea that we fetishize, like, the first time, Mm -hmm. I think it is unhealthy that we put a lot of pressure on it, and it's built up to be this unrealistic thing. But I think at some point, especially for young adolescents, and you can even see in the Lace case with Lady Bird, Mm -hmm. it comes from a genuine place of, like, having to balance who you want to be with who you are because yeah. at the end of the day especially like when it's your first time sex is incredibly vulnerable you have to put yourself quite literally bury yourself to this person you have no idea hoping, what you're doing no you have none and you're hoping it goes well and when and when you find out that it's not the same for that person it hurts like it really digs deep and it's really and i think that's why like the problem with the fetishizing of the first time being this thing is like you're not preparing people for like how to safeguard themselves and kind of explore like what they're comfortable with and how they're comfortable with it and who they're comfortable with. It's just built up as this thing like it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then you have to just trust that the person that you're with who rolls his own fucking cigarettes at the age of 17 and talks about the Iraq war all the fucking time, is somehow going to know what's best. Right. And this is where, like, Lady Bird's personality is so essential because she isn't afraid to speak up at any point in her life, and she's not afraid to speak up after having very disappointing sex for the very first time. And she's like, who has sex on top for their very first time? And it's so funny. The bluntness. Yeah, like, her 
bluntness is just so enviable. Like, I wish I was that blunt when I was her age. And that was the thing that I wanted from the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. I admired that sense of outspokenness. But here, Lady Bird takes it and runs with it. Yeah. And that's a genuine part about her. Like, that's not even her trying to be something she's not. She was genuinely pissed and genuinely was like, who has sex on top for the first time? Yeah. And um, and so it's like those genuine moments of mediocrity that I feel like are truly authentic to being a teenager. And also the moment where she keeps getting all these letters from schools and she keeps getting rejected. And then she gets one wait list from a school in New York and she's freaking out like she got into it. I love that so much that. Oh, yeah. That could have been a moment where she's disappointed in herself or she feels confused. And instead, she's just so fucking proud of herself for getting waitlisted. That was, you know, what? it was it was hysterical, but I loved it because I had that moment today. I'm 29 years old, went to the doctor and my A1C was 5.5. And I just I had that genuinely excited moment to celebrate that. I didn't completely go to shit during the pandemic. They're like, yeah, your A1C is good, but you didn't lose any weight, Tom. You need to you need to do that. And I'm like, yeah, but my A1C, man. Right. But that's the thing about Lady Bird is she has this, although she wants to be a part of this other group of people, she still has this level of self-worth that I still envy. Yeah. And you being proud of your results at the doctor's office, her getting waitlisted, that is that sort of self-worth of like, I did okay, and that's my best, and that's totally fine. The worst did not happen. Exactly. I mean, we can always think high of ourselves, but I, I, I love that moment. That was a, one of my favorite moments. Yeah, Ladybird's bluntness and the way you see it in her mother, too, is just such a real life relationship and what i love about this movie is it's so clearly about the mother-daughter relationship but in a way that feels really real the mother is not completely all good or all bad you can see it go back and forth and i feel like it's really clear when she's having that conversation with danny and he's like oh my gosh your mom is so harsh and she's like my mother is nothing but loving my mother is nothing but loving. And yeah, she's like, I have a very loving mother. I, I know we've talked about this, like, personally, you know, before deciding to talk about this for Lady Bird, is I feel like in a lot of teen movies, if the mother is super loving, she's very aloof and oblivious to what's happening in the child's life. Like, take yeah. Patricia Clarkson in Easy A, mm-hmm. for example. Um a great mom has a wonderful relationship with her, but has literally no idea what's happening with her. Or you get a mom like in every single Jennifer Lawrence movie that came before <laughs> Hunger Games, where Jennifer Lawrence is suddenly an adult and has and has been parentified by her parent because they're not there at all. You either yeah. get one or the other kind of mother, either the traumatic experience mother. Or the good but doesn't get it mother. Yeah. I feel like Laurie Metcalf is the first honest relationship with a mother that's a very complex individual that you root for and also know when she says the wrong thing that I've seen in a movie in a long time. And I, I will say, like, you see that also reflected in Lady Bird, like, the, when she writes that college essay and you realize, because the what is it the nun They're oh nuns, i love the right? nun too she is fantastic but like the nun points out she goes you love sacramento meanwhile we know that the whole movie ladybird's like i want to go to new york i want to get away from like the midwest of california but then she's like you love sacramento the attention the detail and how you describe it that's love and that's like that's her kind of taking on the way her mom shows affection mm-hmm. and you realize like She's going to grow and she's going to experience things and she's going to leave. But she comes to accept the fact that, like, this is her home and she does love it here. Like, she really does love Sacramento. And I think that's also Greta Gerwig kind of communicating through this character, her love letter to her hometown from this time. Yeah, she said that the Sacramento is the inspiration 
for her writing this movie. And and I can absolutely see that, yeah. Yeah, you can see it in the way that the whole film is shot. And um, the experience of being sick of your hometown, leaving it, and then wanting to come back is exactly what I had when I went to Chicago. I Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, because, I mean, we've spent our entire lives in New York, so... You know, once I went to school in New York City, I was like, okay, this isn't really leaving New York. I'm just in New York City. I've always, we've always known New York City. So I thought that when I decided to move to Chicago that I would never want to come back to New York and I'd finally move out. And then once I left New York, I realized how much I missed it and how much it's just home. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. I still love Chicago, but, you know got a lot of stuff going on right now yeah no i definitely yep yep <laughs> but i definitely i definitely understand and, and get what you're saying like there is definitely because it's a part of you it like helps to define who you are the community and the neighborhood in which you're brought up in yeah and i feel like even just the way that ladybird keeps referring to herself as being on the wrong side of the tracks also speaks to that sort of level of privilege of yeah a mm-hmm. white suburban community oh yeah a hundred percent i love that house that they grew up in too like that i know little, the living room with the big ass dell computer the windows xp yeah like i love that room like the wood panels and everything i want to live in that house yeah and like that, that's what i was saying about my home is that even though you know there was nothing wrong with our home it was very clear that it was treated differently than other people's homes. And I still think that we had such a loving life there. I wouldn't change anything. And that's what I see when I look at Lady Bird's home too, is that that's a great home. She's got great parents. I will say that as being your friend for a very long time, I've loved your home. Thank you. And I've always loved going to your home. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great home. Yeah. You guys would just show up on our lawn and it was great because I never had to ask people to come over. They just appeared at my We just my showed home. up. And then, like, we didn't even have a couch in our living room for a while because we just didn't and couldn't. And you guys would just chill on the floor. And my mom would be like, do they want pizza? And I'd be like, all right, we're getting pizza now. Oh, pizza. Pizza. We'd watch Hot Rod. <laughs> we did. Yeah. We watched Hot Rod in your house. And shout out to... I don't know if he listens, but Nick Satellino. He better. Congratulations. Nick Satellino, congratulations on your engagement. But uh, I'll never forget watching Hot Rod at Courtney's house and yeah. you fell asleep and you woke up very angry and said that nothing has changed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Nick, we love you so much and your rant about Hot Rod. <laughs> His complaint, and if I remember correctly, was I watched, he's like, the beginning of the movie, he sucked. I fell asleep. Mm-hmm. I woke up. It's the end of the movie. He still sucks. I love Andy Samberg. I thought he was the cutest thing. He's funny. Yeah, I still think he's handsome. But like, are we I, saying? I like are we saying? Guys. Are we gonna say that they're coming up like soon? I don't know when, but eventually a Lonely Island episode. We're gonna do a Lonely Island episode for sure, and then I think that we'll do a separate SNL series. That's an interesting one. Yes, yeah. I would love to do that. Because I feel like we grew up with the last big string of SNL comedians and comedians, for sure. Yeah. We had such a big string of female comedians from SNL that... Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Who would go on to influence a lot of the pop culture in the 2010s. Yeah, also... Um, Bill Hader and Andy Samberg came out with Laser Cats at 28. And I realized that at 28 a year ago, and I thought, hell yeah, I'm reaching my laser cat phase. <laughs> laser cats. This is the age of my laser cats. Yeah, we can do laser cats now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so Lady Bird's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it and feel free to cry. Yeah. Yeah, I you, um, I watched it in a movie theater by myself, which isn't a thing that really? we can do anymore. I actually, it sucks. I just started learning how to love going to the movie theater by myself. And then it's like, oh, wow, I really like going to the movies by myself. Q 
can't go to the movies anymore. No, as soon as as soon as you found something that you could love, Tom, the world took it away from you. Yes, it did. It's like, oh, Tom, do you have a, a problem being alone? Well, oh, you learned. Oh, are you comfortable with that now? You're finally okay with being alone and liking yourself. Well, you can't do it anymore. <laughs> we'll just test that real hard. Yeah. In the pandemic. Mm. Yeah. No, I. I love alone time, um, but um, I saw this movie. I needed just a break to go do something by myself, and it was the middle of winter. And I decided to hop on the train into the city to go see this at a movie theater because I figured it'd be easier to get into the city to see it at an indie movie theater than anywhere on Long Island because I don't drive yet. Yes. Yet. Keywords. But that's changing soon. Um and I made the fatal mistake of going into the city during SantaCon. Oh, which boy. is a thing that may be of the past, which I'm fine with. Oh, yeah, that's one of the blessings. Uh, you know, if COVID did one thing well, it stopped SantaCon. Yeah, that's not happening this year for sure. Thank God. Yeah, and anybody that it does, who does do that, don't be a dick. Don't do that. Don't listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Turn it off and leave. Yeah. And think about doing something else on what would be SantaCon Day. Um, for those who, who don't know what SantaCon is, it's this thing where people from Long Island, New Jersey, and Connecticut ruin the city by just infestating it with their swarms of... Santa Claus outfits and obnoxious behavior. Yeah, and they just drink everywhere. They just... Do a whole lot of drinking and wrecking shit and ruining bars. For Yeah, that's not happening this year. Yeah. Um, so I went into the city on this day to go see Lady Bird. Um, I'm still glad I did it because uh, it was actually a very cathartic experience to see this movie in the theater by myself and cry at the um. scene where... Um, because... Uh, Laurie Metcalf's character asked Lady Bird not to go to a school that is too expensive for them after her dad loses her job. Um, they keep the fact from her that she's actually going to go to New York and the dad is going to help them. So when they say goodbye to Lady Bird at the airport... Oh, that moment is beautiful. It made me cry. Yeah, so uh, the mom is feeling so angry still that she hasn't spoken to her daughter because she decided to go to a very expensive school. Um, she drives... You, you catch her driving around the airport and trying not to park, and then as she's driving around the airport, you can see it on her face that she's regretting it the further she drives. And then by the time that she parks again in front of the airport, she's rushing to the gate to hoping that she sees her daughter again. And, you know, her husband tells her, like, it's too late. She went through security. She's going to be on the plane. Oh. And it's such a beautiful moment. Because you just, you just feel it. And that's one of those examples where, you know, you don't have to say it. You just have to show it and you can feel it because... As she's driving, you can feel that regret and that remorse and her just wanting to hold her baby girl before she goes yeah. off to college. Oh my god, yeah, that was... What an incredible moment. Yeah, I, I, I cried <laughs> so much. I believe it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that anything about the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, Greta Gerwig, clearly showed what it was like growing up when all these movies were popular and mm -hmm. added... The real nuanced and subtle experiences of growing up during that time period. Now, who would be who is who is Timothy Chalamet's character more like? Is he more like Orlando Baylor oh. or Tom from Five Hundred Days of Summer? Mm. I think he's more like Orlando Baylor. Yeah, me too. Because I could also see him uh, being told that he failed at something and trying to make a murder bike. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate, but in the movie, his father has cancer. Mm -hmm. Or he tries to sell his band song onto Fuse so it would get played, and they reject it, and then he makes a murder bike. Any number of things that go wrong. Yeah. 
and he'll blame it on uh, America's militarization. Yeah. Um, Danny's fine. Yeah, I love Danny. Yeah. Like, poor Danny. Like, I mean, it's wrong. Like, obviously, like, I can't even hold him to say, like, oh, my God, it's wrong. You should have been honest. Like, this, they're, like, 16, 17 years old in 2002 as a gay kid. Like, how do you, like, that is a struggle. Like, yeah. how do you come out to your very Catholic parents in Sacramento, California, when you go to a very Catholic school? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I picture that his life is 18 years down the line, that he and Lady Bird, Christine now, because she doesn't go by Lady Bird anymore, I picture no. that they are still very good friends and do brunch sometimes when she is back in California. Maybe they have roommates at one point. Yeah, totally roommates. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I love that part, too. I love that they make up. Well, it's... Because I think that speaks to the character. Like, Lady Bird learned how to love from her mother. Like, she knows how... She still shows compassion. And even though he hurt her, she still wants to help him. She still wants to make sure that he's okay and that he knows that it's going to be okay. She's just angry that he lied. Yeah, and that she can get over it. Like, she comes off, and as teenagers, we're all a little bit selfish. We can't completely see the world from a grown-up perspective as a teenager. You're still a little bit focused on yourself. Um, I feel like this is a really big moment for her to push past her needs to help a friend in need. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think you also get those glimpses of it when she observes the teacher's because they also show these moments of humanity where she's trying to learn about other people's experiences. Mm-hmm. So, Tom, I know that this movie is only four years old, right? Three, yes. three years old. I would say three. Yeah. Okay. Do you think this movie would still hold up? Yeah, it still holds up. Okay. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> if anything, it it you can watch a bunch of the 2000s Manic Pixie Dream Girl movies, and then you watch this one, and it make it makes them stand up a little better. Totally. Because it helps you learn a lesson. Yeah, and I think it helps with the conversation that we had at the very beginning of this, which is that at the time, those characters were important because now we're asking more, and we're able to ask for more. And Lady Bird is that example of asking for more and getting it in return. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Did we want to talk a little bit about the soundtrack at all? Um, I don't really think that there was a song that came from us. What is nice, connection to the Manic Pixie Dream Girl series, the score is created by John Bryan. Oh. Yeah. Eternal Sunshine score maker John Bryan. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think he's great. I think anything he does is great, except for... That Fiona album, a Fiona Apple album that didn't work out. I think that mm. I think it's good that she went in a different direction. But other than that, he's great. I will say that I think there is a standout song because it does play, and I think because the album itself is also very two thousands. Like it's like you hear songs in it that kind of almost operate as background noise, but these are like creating the world of that time, like. I think the song that I think would stand out for this is, um, what is it? Uh, fuck, what? I just had it. Oh, Crash Into Me, the Dave Matthews band. Oh, God. Because they sing it, like, after she's heartbroken. Yeah. Morning. Yeah, like. I can't listen to it. I'm not. I'm not a. Not a lie. I'm not a fan of the song. But I'm not a it, fan of. Um, I, I forget the name of them already. Dave, the Dave. The Matthews Dave Matthews band. band. I was gonna but say like it's, Dave it's, and the Blowfish or something like that, but that's Hootie yep. and the Blowfish. Yep, Hootie and the Blowfish. That's that's the '90s coordinate. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, this album, and I think that song in particular plays to paint the picture of that time as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also has a song by a Real Big Fish on it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Snoop Dogg, baby. And then... Uh, I saw them in concert. Really? Yeah, they were I fine. Didn't know that. They were fine? Yeah, I was seeing them with Streetlight Manifesto, and they actually took up longer time than Streetlight Manifesto, and Streetlight Manifesto were the headliners. That's interesting. Yeah. 
They're a strange bunch. What I love about the soundtrack is they put in the recording of uh, Christine saying, my name is Lady Bird. And they're like, uh, who, who gave you that name? And she says, it's given to me by me. By me. By me. I, I love that so much. So you asked the question, yeah. do you want to talk about things that you've been up to lately in our other segment of what's been going on? Oh, yeah. Um, weekly Obsessions. Yes, Weekly Obsessions. I would say my obsession this week is just having some goddamn peace and quiet. You know, it's beautiful, and it's, I appreciate that. Things are crazy. Yeah. And I just hope for everybody that we can all just find a little bit of peace right now yeah yeah what about you Tom? I, for me i know that what's been keeping me going is um i texted you i'm like did you ever watch the show angel oh, yeah. <laughs> the spin-off to buffy the vampire slayer <laughs> and you were like no i just like buffy i just I'm like, like buffy oh. Um, I am watching, I am lost in it now. I am watching Angel, mm-hmm. the the spinoff series where the vampire with a soul and has his own show where he fights crime in Los Angeles. How is it? I, I like it. Yeah. It's, it's more similar. Like, I think I've texted you like, cause Courtney and I both really like Doctor Who and that might even be its own aughts episode to talk about the Christopher Eccleston, Dave and Tennant Doctor Who. I think also Matt Smith is in the aughts too, right? Can we cover the whole three? I think, no, I think the Matt Smith years were, uh, let me check, hold on. Not Blu-ray, god damn it. But um, the spinoff to Doctor Who was Torchwood. Yeah. And Torchwood was like a more adult, dark, gritty show about like a group of individuals hunting down extraterrestrial and paranormal. Mm-hmm. Angel is very similar to that. So it's not, it's very different than Buffy, but it's, let me see, uh, Matt Smith is 2010. Well, I mean. We could talk about him. We talk about Lady Bird, and that's three years ago. True. All right. Well, the, we make up the rules. Yeah. We make up the rules. Maybe a Doctor Who episode coming up, who knows? Yeah. We'll definitely do a little um, ode to the doctors that we've grown up with. The very aughts, because I would say, like, especially the Eccleston season, mm-hmm. it's very the aughts. Oh my god, it's, it's so aughts. It's so the aughts, it's not even funny, but... Yeah. I've been watching, so I've been watching Angel, and I like it a lot. It's just, like, a monster of the week, like, procedural, you know, a little more adult drama. Um, Buffy, I still think, is a little better. I was looking for something horror-related to watch that was just kind of didn't need a lot of investment or emotional energy and angel was perfect for that that's true and otherwise than that i've been just sort of planning out my october fucking thing that i'm going to do 31 pumpkins for every day of october um have you taken pictures or are you going to take pictures yes that they're all going to be every single one's going to be photographed most of them are going to be put in random spots around my neighborhood or on in New York. Watch out. And just to be like, I actually took this idea and I spoke to him about it. So he's cool with it. But the Great Pumpkin, Great Pumpkin Project, mm-hmm. who is on a friend of ours, the friends of ours, uh, Haunted Hangover podcast, where his thing is that he, throughout the month of October, carves pumpkins and puts them in random locations. Oh, yeah. I do remember hearing about this. Yeah. And I love that idea, and I kind of just took it one step too far and said, I'm going to do one every single day of October. Mm-hmm. So, but, and we spoke about it, but I'm committing to it because uh, pandemic, I work from home. So you might as well do one every single day. I'm so glad that you're doing something creative for yourself. I think that's a great goal to have. Um, I know Inktober is a very popular artist thing yes. um, on Instagram, and I, I can't, I can't lie. I, I just, I don't have that level level of commitment. I just That's fair. I, I can't do it. Um, so I totally respect the investment that you're putting into this. Thank you. Yeah. And those are the two things keeping me sane. Yeah. Um, I, it's getting scary. I mean, it's been scary, but just the fact that things aren't ending anytime soon. 
is making it scarier. I know, but we're all in this, guys. Just stay smart, stay responsible, take care of yourself and your loved ones, and just do what's right for you, and we'll be, we'll get through this. Yeah. That's all I can say. And also, like, don't be hard on yourself. Yeah. That's something that I have to work on. I, I that's all I've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> so we we will work on this. We got this. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Yes, and guys, thank you so much. After this, we are going... This is this is the end of our Manic Pixie Dream Girl series in its entirety. This one was sort of just like a love letter to the Manic Pixie Dream Girls that came a before. A sign-off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to start getting into some spooky-dooky stuff. The spooktacular savings. The weekly spooktacular. Spooky, scary skeletons and shivers down your spine. Yes, I'm. You can find it. I'm very excited to make the the visuals for this mini series. You can find it in your supermarket circular weekly. Yeah, this is gonna be good. Yes, but yes, thank you again, and uh, please be sure to check us out on Spotify, Bam. iTunes, Bam. Google, Bam. Podbeam, and then you can follow us on the Instagram at Remember the Zero Zero S Podcast, where we post interactive, fun memes and different things, and make announcements. And heads up, maybe soon, maybe soon, YouTube. Yeah, um, we also received an email from another big website company thing that wants us to put our podcast on there, and I am genuinely not sure how I feel about that. We're gonna Uh-oh. find out. <laughs> Please. Oh, you gotta tell me after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the email <laughs> went right into promotions. Oh, okay. Yeah, but we'll see. We'll see. You might yes. find us somewhere else very soon. Alright, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks, everybody. Stay tuned. What I'd really like is to be on Math Olympiad. But math isn't something you're terribly strong in. That we know of yet. Mm-hmm.